You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm Eliza Barkley, Vox's science, health, and climate editor. This April, our podcasts are teaming up to cover some of the most important issues threatening life on Earth. From sustainability to biodiversity to straight-up cool things about the natural world, we'll focus on our planet and its limits in episodes throughout the month. Tune in to Today Explained, Box Conversations, The Weeds, Unexplainable, Worldly, Future Perfect, and Vox Quick Hits. Want to listen to all the shows? Find them at box.com slash earthmonth. I report here at Recode on billionaires. And while I'm curious how they make their money, I'm one of the few reporters writing about how they try to give it away. The super-rich have power and resources to have a huge impact on the world's big problems. One of those, of course, is climate change. The richest man alive, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, has announced he's giving away $10 billion to fight climate change. Elon Musk is offering a $100 million prize for the best technology to scrub carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates out with a new book this week. It's titled How to Avoid a Climate Disaster and In the book, he warns that the economic damage caused by climate change will likely be as bad as having a COVID-sized pandemic, he says, every decade. Billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates in recent years have made pledges to commit their winnings into saving our planet. But there's often criticism. Are these people going about that the best way? And maybe more importantly, do we want the fate of the planet in just a few people's hands? Joining me to discuss is Kerry Emanuel. He's an atmospheric science professor at MIT. Hi, Professor. Hey, how are you? I'm good. So I'm curious, what's your immediate reaction when you see, you know, choose your tech billionaire du jour, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Elon Musk? What's your immediate reaction when you see some of them announce big commitments to spend their personal money on climate change? Well, it's my point of view that this problem is so serious that uh, the more the merrier, in some sense, the more people contributing to this, the better. And we can argue, and it's an interesting argument, philosophical argument about how much power very rich people should wield. But I sort of feel that's an argument for another day. It's, it's a different topic. I just like to see as much activity as possible directed toward doing something about the climate problem. Of those three, Bezos, Musk, and Gates, I mean, who do you is doing the most impressive work on this challenge? Well, the work I know most about is Bill Gates' work, particularly his work in Terra Power, because I think it's absolutely essential that we develop carbon-free baseload capacity around the world 
uh, and not try to put all of our eggs in the renewables basket. So I like what Bill Gates is doing in this regard. As someone who studies kind of the atmosphere specifically, do you think that these billionaires should be focusing most directly on carbon emissions when it comes to stopping climate change? Or what to you is the problem in the most immediate sense that if you were a major philanthropist, you would spend your time on? It's very important at this particular juncture in history when we really don't know how things are going to play out technologically in the long run Mm -hmm. to be investing in many, many different enterprises. He talked about power generation and nuclear power, but also carbon capture and sequestration. We've got to work on that. There's some possibility that we can do it, and we may need to do it. Even if we succeed in decarbonizing, it's very unlikely at this point to happen fast enough. We're going to need to be able to pull carbon out of the atmosphere. Right. Another critical need is in energy storage. The whole problem that's holding back renewables right now is the inability to efficiently and cost-effectively store energy. So we really need to work on all of those. It's all of the above. So you've written a lot about nuclear energy and how you see this as you know one of the best bets that America can make. Elon Musk this week uh, is introducing a $100 million prize for carbon capture technology. But if you were a billionaire, it sounds like you would spend your money on nuclear energy. Tell me why you would focus on that area specifically. The technology is ready to go. We've been uh, using nuclear power for well over half a century. And today in the United States, it supplies 20% of our overall electricity and the vast majority of our carbon-free energy. There are a few countries around the world who actually did decarbonize their electrical production. Sweden and France come to mind. And they both did so with big combinations of nuclear uh, and hydropower. So I'm an empiricist. I'm not an energy expert. I'm a climate scientist. But as an empiricist, I look around and see what is it that actually works? How can we actually do this? And we have that technology. We talk about refining it and making it better. And of course we should do that. Mm -hmm. That's where it's important to put money into innovation. But we can't wait Uh, for for the innovation. We have to start doing something now, and we know how to do that. There is another thing at stake here, and that is that um, China and Russia are now competing for the nuclear export market. It is not so much a question of whether nuclear power plants will be built. They are being built. They're just not being built in the West. And from a geopolitical, technological safety standpoint, is that the optimum thing to be happening, or should these power plants be being produced in the West? I mean, nuclear energy does have its critics, right? Tell me about what they would say in response to your argument. Uh, you know, there are myths all around the world, and one of the most destructive myths is that nuclear power is dangerous. Dangerous compared to what? Mm-hmm. It's actually uh, the safest way of making energy uh, that we have, given the statistics on loss of life per kilowatt hour generated, nuclear is the safest. We really need to be deploying these uh, plants fast. Yes, there's a waste problem. There's a waste problem in every form of energy generation, but it's a socio-political problem. It's not a technical problem. So what do you could a billionaire philanthropist actually do about this? Um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding if you're Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, 
what would they do if they're not in charge of you know a country's energy policy? What could they specifically do to promote the nuclear energy? Well, the most important thing is to promote innovation in that uh, field. We can't continue to rely on 1950s technology. Um, mm-hmm. The government is uh, supporting some innovation, but not enough. Uh, they could be supporting um, campaigns of information to counter the campaigns of disinformation that are coming primarily, actually, from the fossil fuel industry and to some extent from environmentalists that are stopping this happening. Professor, you were saying earlier that the argument about whether or not people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos should be in charge or should be so influential in, in U.S. climate policy was sort of beside the point. Okay, but let's 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 go to that to that point. It does say something unusual that in kind of the American philanthropic system, individual people, right, who are successful business types, but you know, are still one person, you know, could have almost an anti-democratic or, or overly disproportionate influence in American climate policy. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree. And I think the only response I would have to that is that we're faced with a lot of unpleasant choices here. Uh, we're far from optimal. It would be nice if we had a government that that really was proactive about things like innovation of carbon-free energy, didn't play favorites, like pouring large amounts of tax money into renewables. Is it an ideal world where, where environmentalists are calling the shot? It's really because of environmentalists that we don't have much nuclear power left in the U.S. Is that fair? When the history of this is written, those organizations, I'm afraid, will come off looking very bad on this issue. Uh, so we have all, all kinds of um, unpleasant choices to make. I welcome anybody that comes into the field at this point with good ideas uh, for how to to move things forward. But we have to play the cards we have mm-hmm. now if we're going to tackle this problem. In an emergency, it almost feels like some of the academic philosophical questions uh, become to be debated later. Professor Emmanuel, thank you so much for joining us. You're quite welcome. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 